fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGBT. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Professor Daniel J. Glenn. With me, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Dan, it is so great to be here because we're going to finally answer a childhood question of mine that has been plaguing me my entire life. Would I survive a mammoth hunt? I think it's a, it's a great question, Denon, uh, but I've got a question for you. How do you feel about me stealing your gimmick? <laughs> um, since I've never smoked a pipe, um, I'm perfectly fine with it. Okay. Well, we, we hopefully we're gonna we're gonna maybe we'll change that then, and maybe that's the professor the little professor gimmick you need. Yeah. Uh, but I know a guy who is all all substance and no gimmick, and that's our enigmatic engineer Ben Seepser. Ben, how is life like orbiting planet Earth? Dan, here on the Brain Station, I spend a lot of time on xenobiology. However, that has me thinking that our own past is nearly as alien to us as actual non-Earthlings. So perhaps we should do something here on Earth so we can study our own strange prehistory. I think that that's a great idea. And what better place to do it than our 150th episode here, guys. Uh, and this is I'm very excited about this because we're going to talk about we're going to kind of talk about a, a movie that is near and dear to all of our hearts, and that's Jurassic Park. Uh, I know growing up, you know, I, before Jurassic Park came out, I told my grandmother uh, after watching a dinosaur show on PBS that I wanted to be an alioanthropologist, and she made me tell all of her old old uh, geriatric <laughs> friends that, and little did I know I was mispronouncing it, and is a paleoanthropologist. <laughs> so while I didn't become one, uh, I am pretending to be one for today's episode. So I feel pretty good about that. That is awesome, Dan. And and I think you did get the look right. I, I am I, I hope in post-production um we do add some fireworks when you say 150th episode. I was expecting for something <laughs> a little more dramatic there. Um, but you know, but but the look, the look says it all. Yeah, I, I'm expecting the air horn, you know, <laughs> sound. You know. <laughs> Hey, you know what? We just keep moving forward, guys. I mean, we can't pat ourselves on the back too much, uh, like the people who are actually trying to de-extinct animals, which we're going to get into. Uh, but so I want to present something to you guys here for for this episode. And despite this very franchise being a cautionary tale uh, against <laughs> what can happen when you play God with the animals of the past, I'm still going to suggest that maybe the three of us go into business together. I want to put something together where the, the people of the world can enjoy the animals of the past, just like you suggested, Ben. And, you know, maybe, maybe we'll do something like Mammoth Park or Mammoth mm -hmm. Mountain or Ice Age Island, something <laughs> like that. We're not going to go into dinosaurs, but mammoths seem to be the poster child right now. Everyone wants to see one. So I'm thinking that's where I'm thinking that we start. You know, I think it's a great start, Dan, because what we'll be able to do is connect with our famous Flintstone episode where we concluded mm -hmm. that the Flintstones were actually what happened in the future. So as we build our mammoth park, um, we can convert everything to mammoth technology, as in the city of Bedrock. 
<laughs> I think that's a great idea. Uh, I love, you know, I love connect. Not only do I love promoting other episodes, but I love connecting them as well. But I think this is a perfect sweet spot. And Ben, I'm sure you're going to appreciate this mm-hmm. because we want to come up with animals that people will enjoy, but aren't going to get out and kill everyone, including uh, the engineers who put it together. <laughs> well, I mean, I'd still worry about a mammoth. I mean, elephants are plenty dangerous to us and I can't I I would suspect a mammoth is uh even more so unfortunately <laughs> I think that's true we have a lot of history especially in the San Diego Wild Animal Park which is this the best place in the world for uh for for elephants and their treatment mm-hmm. and you know we're maybe what we're going to design is going to be similar to what they've put together down there uh in San Diego so I think mammoths at least we're closer to the only experience we have with dinosaurs as I'm sure you know uh are the flock of seagulls that that run around <laughs> the city of Los Angeles that's about as close as we get well I, I think about the ostrich farms out by the San Diego wild park <laughs> wild animal park and I don't think I would want to get in the pen with those ostriches. <laughs> <laughs> they do look uh, uh, yeah, Neolithic. You know, they, they yeah. are they are pretty old looking. Uh, and emus as well. Uh, these gigantic yeah. birds are, are really cool, which we'll get into some later on. You know, we're going to get into some of these gigantic flightless birds. Um, but, you know, the mammoth is pretty cool. Uh, you know, uh, uh, there's five foot beavers that were around this particular <laughs> period. Those are pretty cool. I live by Park Lib- the the, uh, the La Brea Tar Pits. They've got ground sloths. We're going to get into some of that stuff. There's lots of cool animals we can fill this park with, guys. There's no shortage at all. But the question, right, now that we've decided that this is a brilliant idea, mostly because it came from my lips, I think we have to figure <laughs> out how are we going to do this? That's the key here. And Ben, on your brain station, I know you've been working on a, a, a plan on how we can make this happen. Working. I mean, I'm, we're already there, Dan. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. Perfect. Yeah. I love that. I, I mean, the first step, which of course I've already done, you, you need that, that genome, right? You can't, you can't have life without the genes for it uh, and, and not Levi's. Uh, right. <laughs> I was going to say, you can't, life exists, doesn't exist without genes anymore. Right? Yeah. So yeah, we need to get that c- genome of the mammoth. And unlike Jurassic Park, you know, you're not going to get it from Amber. Uh, amber, unfortunately, doesn't actually preserve genes. It, the amber, there's bacteria in there. It's porous. There, it oxidizes. The DNA just gets chewed up by all the stuff living in that amber, unfortunately. So, well, that's an interesting point because we see it in Jurassic Park, and it is that really cool image of that mosquito, you know, caught frozen in time. We know that mosquitoes suck blood, and their logic seems to make sense. Blood from a dinosaur. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mosquito gets caught. We take that blood. Easy peasy. Uh, but it doesn't quite work like that. No, not at all, unfortunately. And it's also hard. How do you know what that mosquito ate? It could, you know, right. for all you know, it ate a, you know, it it, it ate, some, got some blood from a prehistoric shrew. And you're just going to end up getting one of our ancestors instead of a cool dinosaur. Uh, or the bacteria and you end up bringing back, you know, a 30 foot, um, right. you know, protozoan. You also have the problem of you might just end up with the mosquito DNA. And the last thing we need are prehistoric <laughs> <Gigantic> mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so the beauty of the mammoth is it's not from so long ago. And they li- like to live in uh, cold places. So I-, I don't know if you've seen these, but we happen to have found these wonderfully intact mammoth mummies in the permafrost in Siberia and Canada. And so what better 
way to get ancient DNA than from a perfectly frozen animal that we just find out in the dirt. <laughs> you know, I and I think that's a great point, though, Ben, as you mentioned, I mean, we don't want to be too overly optimistic to our viewers and say this is just trivial. You know, all you have to do is walk out to the Siberia and pull up your favorite mammoth. Um, right. <laughs> there, there, there still is um, a lot. You know, the chemicals aren't as stable as everyone would think. And there it is. It, this is what makes it fun and what requires, Dan, the top level scientific and engineering minds, because mm -hmm. that DNA is still pretty messed up. Um, mm -hmm. It's still broken down a lot. I mean, the mammoth may look intact, um, but but the right. DNA is never quite as intact as you think it is. But I think to Ben's point, a lot of it is clearly still mammoth DNA, and that and that helps. <laughs> right, and it clearly looks like a mammoth, so we know we know what right. we're getting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but so let's say so we have this mammoth, and and getting that genome, I think it's proved difficult. You have to find a living cell. But there is a process, and I believe the process is called somatic cell nuclear transfer. This is probably the best thing that we have now, best thing mm -hmm. going as far as de-extinction you know, is concerned. But this is a little tricky, Ben, and I know you kind of know the process because I feel like you've cloned yourself for just such a, an apocalyptic, <laughs> apocalyptic occasion that we often discuss. Yeah. So, right. So you're describing the process of cloning, which is how... Dolly the sheep was created and how, you know, some people uh, recreate their dogs and cats these days. <laughs> right. Uh, Put it but, to good use. <laughs> yeah. But the basics is you take a living cell from the still alive donor animal, uh, you zap it, you put it in a egg cell. Well, you take the, the nucleus out of an egg cell, put the, nu the nucleus from the cell you're trying to clone into it, zap it some more. And if you're lucky, that grows into a a a baby animal that is a clone. Um, now this is tricky. I want to point this out really quickly before we go on here. What I love about this, and then, and I think you hopefully you see where I'm going with this. Basically, just to sum it up, you got an egg, you zap it with electricity, you get rid of the nuclear material. You put other nuclear material in there, you zap it again, and then it starts growing. Did Mary Shelley get it right? This feels like something <laughs> Frankenstein would do to create life. Maybe she wasn't far off. Uh, it's kind of weird, right? It, 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 yeah, it's just a different scale, right? Frankenstein, yeah. you, you know. Very you, different scale. <laughs> you, you, you put the big pieces together and zap them. Um, right. Mm. You know, so I, I do think, yeah, you know, Dan, thematically, um, and, and I love the technical term we're using, so it's clear for our, our, our listeners, um, yeah. zapping is the key right. part, right? And yeah, right? It's all how you zap. Right. Yeah. That's you right. got to wonder if those scientists took inspiration from Frankenstein. You know, they were like, how do we make this cell? <laughs> uh, how do we trick the cell into being a clone? And they're yeah. like, I don't know. Let's electrocute it. That's what Frankenstein did. <laughs> hey, we tried everything else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, can't, it can't hurt. <laughs> So, so we get that. So that goes into an embryo, hopefully. And yes. the idea is you put it in, you know, a, a, a living womb, grow it, bada bing, bada boom. We've talked about artificial wombs. If we need them, we're going to have them in spades, yeah. apparently. So that's not going to be a problem. Uh, but this is still a pretty, pretty tricky procedure. Yeah, it's very tricky. And, and as we've discussed, it starts with a living animal or at least mm -hmm. a living cell. And right. the problem with mammoths is they're dead. And so are all their cells. Yeah. Right, right. So, so we can't do that. We have to then figure out some other way. And there's and the process there is you have to get that genome. 
And mm -hmm. so you can sequence the genome from the cells, but you're still not going to really come up with a complete genome. It's very difficult to be sure that you've got the chromosomes right, that you're not missing anything, that you haven't accidentally spliced in some bacterial DNA. It, it's tricky stuff. And so the next best thing is to not try to create that gen gene sequence from whole cloth, but to go to that next closest living ancestor, which thankfully we've got with the mammoth, we've got right. elephants. Right. They're 99% they're mammoth. So we just got to <laughs> change that 1%. It's only 1%. That's not so hard. So I mean, we're pretty close to the chimpanzee. We're only 98. I don't know if I want chimpanzee DNA in me, but it would work. I mean, why not? Stick and patch, well, right? You've got 98% chimpanzee DNA. <laughs> right. Or the, or the chimpanzees have 98% human DNA. It depends how you think about it. That's true. Hmm. Yeah. But I think that's the part people always forget, Dan, is how yeah. close certain species are when you have a common ancestor, right? It, it's, yeah. It's not a lot, you know, we think of evolution as these big changes, but, you know, at the DNA and molecular scale, they're often not that big, right? It, right. It's, you know, I mean, there was, and I think you're going to put up the video um, to the person who talked about this, you know, the difference between, you know, the mammoth and the elephant hemoglobin is so small, yet yeah. it critically makes it better, ironically, when you're in cold weather. Which, you know, right. is sort of what the mammoth needs compared to the Asian elephant, right, who's in the yeah. jungle. So right. it, it's, you know, it's interesting how the chemistry works at that level where small changes can propagate up to, to us to look like, like big changes. Yeah. So much of our genome is really like the basic building blocks. Like, like Dr. Dan mentioned, you know, you have the hemoglobin, but it only takes a slight tiny change to change that structure to be better at cold weather, but most of those genes are just making hemoglobin in the first place. And like every animal on the planet has that. So <laughs> it is true. But you know, you mentioned this this small time scale, right? Then and it is right. it is interesting because in some ways evolution is such a long process where every generation is slightly different than a generation before. And over, you know, you don't see that to the naked eye, obviously, but over the course of millions of you know, uh, uh, billions of years, millions of copies, uh, you know, you could say, that creature changes. I mean, human beings have changed in the 20th century, uh, you know, from a phenotype standpoint, not genetically, but that's the beginning, right? And so yeah. you see this, and the things are really close, but here's what's interesting. So the, the videos by Beth Shapiro, who is a, a biologist, a geneticist who's in uh, UC Santa Cruz, go banana slugs. I'm gonna put up her video, <laughs> uh, which Ben showed us, it's fantastic. You know, it's a great video, but she brings up one cool thing here. And I want to mention this because I think it's important when we're talking about what we're trying to do, because basically you're describing, Ben, is, is to create an embryo, right? You're, you're doing mm -hmm. all that Frankenstein zapping, you're, you're creating an embryo, and then you implant that embryo in, you know, a, a surrogate mother, which would be mm -hmm. living the Asian elephant. But what's tricky, and this is what's so crazy, but the things, the unintended, you know, the things you can't predict, Right that the Asian elephant, their uterus, their, the hymen grows back with every pregnancy. And there's only a hole in it big enough for sperm, not one big enough for an embryo. So implanting that embryo we've created is not impossible, but it creates a hurdle not only did we not expect, which is, a, it's also very tricky to overcome. And these are the things you can't, you can't plan for. Mm -hmm. Well, planning is always tough, Dan, as we know, right. for our show. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yes. We, we um, pull it off. We pull it we off. But we do pull it off. And so I think, I think you know, you take an analytical mastermind and you might be able to solve these problems. It's um, very Particularly possible. if you give him a pipe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he definitely looks like he can solve the problems. And that's half the battle, yeah. right? Which is half the battle. But, but, you know, I think these, this is what, to me, makes science fun, right? Mm -hmm. Is that it's, it's a constant set of puzzles to solve. Um, I yeah. mean, people think of science... I, I, I'm going to take a moment to advertise here for science, Dan, if, if, if okay. I might. Um, Please. You know, people think of it, I don't know, as this like very cold, intellectual, reasoning, rational thing. And, oh, I can't be a scientist. But really, it's a lot of cool puzzles. Like, okay, how do you actually get, you know, maybe a fertilized egg through a hole big enough that only can fit a sperm? Like, that right. is not the average everyday puzzle you face. Um, but that is but true. Why not? Why not tackle that challenge? Right. Like. Mm -hmm. Fun things like that come up all the time. Now, this case, probably you can't use the solution in our lab. Most things, when we're designing new equipment to study foam, the solution is duct tape. I have a feeling yeah. that's not the solution here. <laughs> super handy. No, I don't <laughs> think it's going to work here, but it is a super handy device. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, when we are looking, what's interesting about, about what we're talking about here is we have to find these living cells, right? And so we kind of talked about it, but I, I live by the tar pits. You know, there's a we pull up a lot of bones of wolves, American lions, ground sloths, saber-toothed cats, you know, bison. These are all things that were kind of in the same time period relatively. Uh, we haven't found a, pres a fully preserved, you know, American lion or saber-toothed cat or even a ground sloth, which is unfortunate. But it's all there. When the technology advances, who knows what this will be able to do? Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you bring up those tar pits because, one, they're awesome. If you're ever in L.A., Go to the tar pits. It's the densest fossil record in the world. It's yeah. it's amazing. Mm -hmm. But you have that problem of tar where tar is horrible. Uh, it One, it like kind of eats and oxidizes and, and it's hot and it can destroy, you know, the things in it. But also because the animal is stuck on the surface in the tar, it tends uh -huh. to get eaten and scattered, yeah. you know. <laughs> Yeah. Not a great place, really, to preserve a pristine specimen mm -mm. Uh, of an animal. <laughs> it's definitely quantity over quality in the tar pit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know. And, and as far as I can tell, when I visited Dan, it is only dire wolves. I don't know what these other animals you're mentioning are. I just remember <laughs> all I have is memory of dire wolf skull, dire wolf skull, dire wolf skull, ad infinitum. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're eating all this stuff, right? I mean, they're yeah. eating all this stuff that's on there. That is the cool part of the tar pits is you see all the predators because yeah. – the predators are dumb and jump on the mammoth stuck in the tar and then get <laughs> right. stuck themselves. Right. Well, I mean, it's what happens, but it's it's also how you don't get a preserved, a, a pristine specimen, as you mentioned, Ben. But this, these new Siberian islands, you know, there are, it's, there's permafrost there. That's where they found that that mammoth or initially, right? And what's interesting about that particular part of the world is that there are people who make their living tracking down mammoth tusks. You know, th this documentary is called Genesis 2.0. Anyone interested, you got to check this thing out. It's a very fascinating documentary about that, that whole world. And so instead of having the ivory trade, they're taking ancient mammoth tusks and, and trading them and people are carving them. It's bananas. I mean, just how that, that there's this world out there where people are tracking down, thir you know, 14,000-year-old tusks and finding mammoths still. Uh, the fact that it still exists is crazy. And that particular specimen was dripping this red fluid. Uh, it turned out not to be blood, but you could see how it could look like blood. Uh, but this is fascinating 
and and just incredible that this exists in the world. I don't know that anything else like that exists, but I believe we've even found, you know, frozen precursors to man up there as well. Um, so who knows what, what this will, you know, as, hey, maybe this is the upside of, of climate change, right? There it's yes. going to heat up and all this stuff's going to pop out and uh, it'll be a boon for, for the preserved animals, right? And you can finally be a paleoanthropologist, Dan. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Alioanthropologist. Right, but whatever alien, but it yeah. is. You know, whatever, I think the, it's made up anyway. <laughs> the, the struggle with that yeah. is, you know, you had mentioned this earlier. We're, we're, ideally, we're looking for a live cell. And what I liked about the video with Beth Shapiro is, you're just never going to find a live cell. By definition, they're all dead. You might find yeah. preserved animals, and you might find really, really good cells. But this is what I loved about the video, Dan, is mm -hmm. she actually mentioned gut bacteria, right? right? Where she pointed out that even if you get preserved and maybe the outside bacteria aren't going to break down all your DNA, unfortunately, all your gut bacteria kind of gets released when you get frozen. And you mm -hmm. still have the same problem of DNA being destroyed, which made right. me think, do, do we have a prize that we can give to the listener that knows exactly how many episodes we mentioned the word gut bacteria in? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure we can find something, but that would also require us to find out what that number is, uh, which yeah. might be tricky. So I, I don't want to say no, but let's see what happens. close to 150, Dan. <laughs> yeah. I, we can see. Yeah, the interesting thing there is you really need that kind of flash frozen effect to get as much of yeah. a as much preservation as possible, which is tough with an animal like a mammoth, which is huge and won't freeze quickly. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I imagine there's some balance where, you know, maybe some outer muscle areas, you know, freeze before the bacteria can get to it and you can get pretty good genetics from it. And again, you have a whole mammoth. It's a huge animal. You know, eventually, you know, you're, you're going to be able to find the bits and pieces throughout the uh, the animal eventually. <laughs> Jeez. Well, yeah, I mean, you could find the bits and pieces. But as you mentioned, it is a big animal. And the one thing that I've noticed watching the, the Jurassic World series is just how poorly they do treat these animals in the wild. Mm -hmm. And I think that that now that we're starting to, to now I'm starting to think about this, the ramifications of our park I think they're, they're, I, I'm not 100% sure it's a great idea, but okay. I wanna, I, let's talk some things out here, you know, because you have to think, what are we putting back into the world, right? I'm guessing there's going to be, if an animal went extinct, it's for two different reasons. One, it was no longer the fittest. Either it's climate changed or something was altered about the area where it was, it could no longer survive. So that's one. Or human beings came into play and displaced them or hunted them to extinction or some other problem. So unless we are willing to completely fundamentally change the environment, which we're not even capable of doing now to save ourselves, or mm -hmm. if we're going to have, you know, a, a large extinction effort to reduce the human population, which I can't actively advocate here on the show, uh, without those two things, I think we're all st we're still going to have a problem if we try to create these animals and, and have them be anything other than a zoo attraction. Well, I think that goes to the age of the animal you want to um, re, re, unextinct, re-extinct, de-extinct. I knew I'd de get there eventually. You got it. De-extinct. You got it. Um, Who's the professor is now? Not what you're trying to do. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you're not trying to re-extinct them. <laughs> uh, but but there's there's this twin paradox of. You know, the older they are, the harder it is to get the DNA, but also the more disruptive they would be to bring mm -hmm. back. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And and if you're thinking 
of a zoo um, out of sort of interest, um, that has its own set of sort of ethical and, and other questions. If you're thinking of, you know, bringing back something very recently that we got rid of or wiped out or caused problems for, that makes me a little less nervous, right? Because it's unclear, depending how we made it go extinct, uh, um, the the situation may not have changed yet. It might be recent enough. Um, you know, if it was us hunting and not the environment changing, the environment may, may not have adapted to it being gone yet. Um, right, and so yeah. it might make sense to bring it back. So those are the two extremes I'm thinking of. Yeah, and especially with the hunting issue is something else came in and filled that niche, but there's nothing to say that thing should be in that niche or should not be in that, that niche. So, you know, maybe, you know, we killed a bunch of one species of duck and now there's just more of other ducks there. You know, what's the, you know, is there really harm in bringing back the gone duck, the duck that's gone and having them share the space? Eh, probably not so much. <laughs> I, I got like excited the there, duck. Ben. I thought a gone duck was a species. I wanted to know what it was. <laughs> I was like, I love the gone duck. This yeah. uh, this sounds amazing. Uh, they sound yeah. adorable, to say the least. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's an interesting thought because I think, you know, what would work, it is a question of whether, how far it's been extinct, you know, w what are the impacts to the environment? Th these are all questions you have to think about, which is kind of, you know, in the movie we see is do we want a, a zoo? Do we want like an animal park in San Diego? Or do we want a national park where you just have this gigantic swath of land where animals just get to live? That I think is a little dangerous when you start talking about large creatures, megafauna that we don't 100% know what they're capable of. But it's an option, I guess. You're right, Dan. I think, you know, maybe the step there is, you know, you create that wild animal park first, see how these sloths do, see how these mammoths do. And then maybe, you know, if they don't seem too inv too dangerous, you know, then you put them in Yosemite or whatever. Well, reintroduction, as you're kind of hinting towards there, that is another use of this technology. And there are people that want to do that, right? There's this company called Colossal Biosciences that wants to resurrect the dodo. They want to put the mammoth on there and the thylacine. Those are all mm -hmm. things that kind of went extinct at various different parts. Uh, but this mm -hmm. particular company is founded by a guy named George Church and Ben Lamb. And George Church is kind of the the leader in synthetic biology and while watching that documentary and hearing and reading about him he is a lot like the john hammond character in <laughs> jurassic park and i think he could really use an ian malcolm telling him about how this is going to what the actual ramifications of this are because he seems like that kind of guy who is kind, is doing it just because he can and is not really thinking of if he should yeah the thinking of whether you should is an interesting part and and dan i know personally I may have a little bit of the doing it just because you can, because I've been sitting here since the intro of our show, wondering uh -huh. what kind of dam a giant beaver would make. Like, <laughs> I, 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 you know, part of me just right. wants to bring it back to see that, and I know, be pretty cool. You know, I, I have this this vision of Yosemite being flooded with an entire new lake because of the giant <laughs> dam the beaver built. Because <laughs> we picked Yosemite as the place to release them. Yeah, I like it. I, I would love to see that. I mean, I, I would imagine it could be Hoover Dam level is my, yeah. my impression. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you, just, 
just have beavers building dams out of redwood trees or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd be, <laughs> it'd be like Paul Bunyan. This is this is this is what tall tales were made of. Uh, but this, you know, this really kind of you know, speaks to the hubris of man. And I don't want to put you in that category, Denon. Um, you're yeah. not going to be the bad guy in this episode. But I understand why you would want to do that. And I understand why human beings would want to do that. But you have to be very careful. And I think with each one of the species that they want to resurrect, there are pros and cons to it, right? So the dodo, what's kind of interesting is that it's, it's, there is no relative to the dodo. There's nothing really that close. I think the closest thing uh, is, is, a, is a, a rare pigeon in Indonesia or something. It doesn't really have any genetic close relatives. So it'd be a one-off. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of interesting in and of itself. It doesn't, you know, it was genetically isolated, which is tricky to bring back. But also, I believe that the island it was on still has people on it, and people were kind of the problem. So <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do with the dodo when it comes to reintroduction. Yeah, people and the rats and the dogs and the cats that they brought with them. You right. know, they really, you really changed that environment. Yeah. Uh, but but the, the the cool thing about the bird is, you know, you don't need the... Uh, the surrogacy, you know, you just yeah. you just make some eggs and see what happens. <laughs> you know, it's it's a lot less dangerous for the uh, the uh, the existing animals because right. <laughs> they're not having something weird gro- growing in them. You know yeah. what this made me think of, Dan? You know, we're talking a lot pros and cons, and do you bring back the dodo or not? Yeah. Um, you know, this is a lot of work for my brain to think pros and cons. So I just like to go for something simple that only yeah. has pros. <laughs> Um, and I think we should bring back the fascinating gadgets, gizmo, and gear-based technology mug. But then mm-hmm. I realized it hasn't gone extinct, so it's even mm. easier. Yeah, just go online and buy one. Like, you don't need to do any genetic engineering. Right. You don't need to find a living cell. You don't need to go dig in a bog to find a cup to reproduce. Yeah, just go online and problem solved. <laughs> I imagine if they found a man in the bog, like in those, you know, the thousand year old man that's that's preserved in there. If he had a gadget to give gear based technology mug, he'd still be holding it in his hand thousands of years later. I'm sure he would. And, you know, also, if you're if you're in that tundra mm-hmm. uh, digging up those uh, preserved animals with your fascinating gadgets, gear based technology uh, water bottle, mm-hmm. it, this is insulated. You can you can put that sample in there. Yep. Keep it frozen, right? You know, throw a little dry ice in there or something. Sure. Uh, and you gotta makeshift, uh, makeshift uh, preservation chamber before you, to get your sample back to the lab. <laughs> that sounds so official. A <laughs> preservation chamber. I love it. You can use our. You can. This is scientific grade stuff we have here on the website. Exactly. A- and there is no better episode, guys, than for a T-shirt that says, "Biology is nature's technology," because sometimes. Human's technology is also nature's biology. That's going to be that's going to be the next shirt. <laughs> uh, but you know, so I think when we let's go back to reintroduction here because the dodos, you know, it, it's been gone a while. But there's the black rhino. You know, this is we're talking yeah. about the San Diego Wild Animal Park, one of my favorite places on the planet. You know, you have these they're, they're endangered species. We could use this technology not to reintroduce, but to help populate, to, to reintroduce the black rhino to its own habitat that is still mm-hmm. existing while they're still existing. That makes sense. And I think, I, oh, I do, Dan. And I think there it, it's a slightly different problem um, when you think about cloning, because now you actually do have live cells. Now you actually do have a technology that seems better. And I think what you're just having to worry about a little bit is the, the challenge of biodiversity within a species, 
right? right. If you're trying, yep. you know, when we think about our zoo versus reintroduction, if yep. you just want one mammoth to be able to look at, you're mm -hmm. not worried about genetic diversity, right? Because right? you're not worried about reintroducing and the, you know, the species preserving as a species broadly. When you're trying to bring back the black rhino, you may be able to do the cloning, but how do you get enough diversity that it's a viable species when you set it back out to the wild? Yeah. Yeah. And, and how do we keep them from being poached again, which is <laughs> the other problem? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and and especially with rhinos, rhinos really seem to not like to have babies for some reason, mm -hmm. uh, which is part of the problem. You know, they, they have a lot of trouble with the rhinos breeding in captivity. So, you know, there is something there that, you know, if you could get some amount of them to reintroduce through maybe cloning or something else, you know, maybe you can get that minimum viable population back in the wild and then maybe they can take it from there again if you can handle the poaching problems. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it, it's also funny. We mentioned with the, um, you know, with the Asian elephant having the, you know, being difficult to implant an embryo. You know, look at the California condor. Right. I mean, this was mm -hmm. on the verge of extinction. And we had to figure out that they really needed to be raised by Muppets in order to survive. But these are the weird idiosyncrasy. Animals are as idiosyncratic and sometimes neurotic. Uh, as human beings are, and trust me, I've had dogs that are extraordinarily neurotic. <laughs> so everyone's mm -hmm. got their own little thing. And from a scientific standpoint, if you don't anticipate those kind of weird little things, it can cause a big problem. Well, it does make me wonder, Dan, because I'm, I'm with you. There's these idiosyncratic nature and humans are idiosyncratic. And Ben, to your point, if I reintroduce rhinos with one mammoth, is that enough to distract the poachers? That's kind of the thought I had. <laughs> or he'll just see um, a double, double, double deal there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you take them both out. Well, but but, but I mean, the mammoth may be just enough to uh, mess with the poachers and reduce their population. Yeah, nice. I mean, my, my concern with the mammoth and the rhino is it's two different poaching there. <laughs> you know, you got the ivory trade on one side and the, the quack medicine on the other side. And mm -hmm. so... Yeah. You know, you might just be attracting twice the, the you, amount of oh, poachers. Oh, you might bring extra poachers in. Yeah, but I still think a mammoth bodyguard is like an interesting way to go. That's true. Well, I mean, you know, but that's an interesting point because in some ways that approach, you know, does a little more harm than good, right? The unintended consequences, <laughs> yep. right? But I think yep. there yeah. are other unintended consequences of reintroducing animals you know, that that may or may not exist. If you reintroduce an animal that's recently gone, you know, the, the food web, uh, nature figures it out. They reach equilibrium pretty quickly. So if you reintroduce mm -hmm. an animal that's been gone for 100 years, yeah, it's not that long in the time scale, but it's still a problem for that particular area because now that it does, they don't exist there anymore and nature has figured a way out. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the thing about the rhinos. The rhino's been gone for like a few decades. Mm -hmm. And it, to me, it seems totally reasonable and ethical to put some rhinos back in in Africa, but yeah, anything further back, you really gotta wonder: are you are you just you know are you doing a disservice to the new animals that are there now? And that really is one of the things that I'm, I'm always fascinated about when we think about species extinction and re-extinction. Is you know you talk about idiosyncratic nature, um, Dan. We idiosyncratically value like different animals at different times, and it does make mm -hmm. it challenging. Like, right. oddly, you know, I, I took a tour of Catalina Island, and I'm trusting the tour guide here. You know, the, mm -hmm. the series of animals we introduced to try and kill the animal we first introduced, and then right. that next animal became a pest. And, you know, 
at this point, we're kind of like, okay, which of the things in Catalina would you get rid of and which do you think are cool and you keep, including right. the buffalo that are left over from a movie, right? You know, right, yeah. or mm-hmm. bison. I always forget which they are. Um, you know, and all like the invasive grass all over California that came just because there happened to be seeds on boats, right, from Europe. Yeah. Um, how do you decide when something invasive is so invasive it's now natural and you keep it? Or when mm-hmm. is it invasive and still something you get rid of? These are not easy decisions. Right. Or, you know, you think about, you know, to think about that, you know, you think about like the peacocks or the mm-hmm. parrots and all the, you know, all these exotic birds that wander the Southern California neighborhoods, you know, should should they be around? You know, there, there's all these strange things we've done uh, in our in our environment bringing in weird things that because we think they're pretty. <laughs> well, an invasive species, that is something you would be creating if you're doing this yeah. in a lot of these parts. I mean, you know, human beings are the number one invasive species on the planet. Uh, we can exist everywhere and we push out all the, the natural animals that are there. But cats are another one that, that may seem, outdoor cats, let me say, are an invasive <laughs> species that may seem innocuous. Everyone has their cat, but that cat's killing birds. I mean, they're, they're mm-hmm. killing animals. They're, they're, they're exerting their authority as probably an apex predator in your neighborhood. And the introduction of any predator, as we know, uh, is a problem for the creatures underneath it. I wouldn't want an apex predator moving into my neighborhood, I can tell you that. I, I think they're just taking care of those birds we accidentally introduced, Dan. I think you're underestimating <laughs> the, the policing value that, that the cat is bringing to the neighborhood. <laughs> Maybe. You are definitely a cat apologist. I, w- I will say that. I, I'm pro-dog. You're pro-cat. Uh, we always find ourselves on the opposite sides of this ideological battle. <laughs> And it's it's amazing how ideological it is, but yes, mm-hmm. we absolutely, are. absolutely. So it sounds to me like you guys are pro mammoth, pro ground sloth, <laughs> no saber tooth cat, no dire wolf. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that that about sums it up. I do think a dire wolf would be cool. I say forget the saber tooth cats. Now I'm leaning into this, Denon. Uh, okay. We got to eliminate okay. saber tooth cats. Uh, nothing but dire wolves, just That's- like the tar pits show us, right? Nothing but, like no, nothing, nothing but dire wolves. But there are lots of questions, right, like that we have to think about when we're going to make this park. So I thought at the beginning of this episode, this was going to be easy peasy, but I think we have to go back to square one and figure out what do we really want to do with this technology? Because it is powerful. No other point, and no other point in human history have we been able to create biology. And I think we got to be careful with it. I'm going to echo Ian Malcolm. You know, I really believe we got to be careful with it. Uh, and make sure we we as I say, you do this use this technology for good instead of evil. Superhero, <laughs> supervillain, never more does it come into play here. Uh, but we may have you know we've only maybe scratched the surface here. Is there anything that we missed possibly uh, that you guys wanted to discuss? Uh, Denon, I'm curious uh, uh, if there's anything you want to talk about. I actually have a couple errors and additions here, Dan. First, okay. um, I know we let off with Jurassic Park, but clearly we should have let off with the more historically accurate movie Ice Age. Um, because we were talking about mammoths. So sure. really, really, this is an episode about Ice Age. I mean, I mentioned the Flintstones. Obviously, that is a little bit fantastical, um, right. mostly historically accurate, but some liberties. Um, Ice Age, much better movie. Well, I, I am glad to see, Denon, that you are admitting that fa- Flintstones is at least at least partially fantastical. I was worried about you for a while there. <laughs> and and to, to acknowledge the Ice Age part, I did say Ice Age Island was a possible name for, for our, mm. our, our endeavor. So I'm, I'm acknowledging it. You're being seen, Denon. 
Uh, and, okay. and, and I, lo- I love I love what you're talking about here. Uh, what about you, Ben? Is there anything that we missed you wanted to mention? You know, I think it's important. We got to remember, you know, you know, when you're talking about John Hammond, you got to remember spare no expense. Where are we going to get that expense from? And I have the theory, you know, the mammoth is what's in the imagination. And that's because of Sesame Street. So we really got to hit up uh, <laughs> Warner Brothers Discovery, HBO, whatever we want to call them now, mm-hmm. and get that Snuffleupagus uh, sponsorship <laughs> <laughs> and name our first mammoth Snuffy. Yeah. <laughs> that is a great idea. Uh, not only does that company not know what they want to be called, I'm not 100% sure what we would call <laughs> exactly what that animal would be, but it is mammoth-like, right? I mean, I've always wondered. Uh, Snuffleupagus is pretty cool, uh, and I'd love to see him as a spokesperson. Uh, you know, I don't really have a lot of, of errors additions here. I think we, we, we hit a lot of it. Uh, you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting is that, you know, they tried to reintroduce wolves to uh, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, you know, maybe a few decades after they had been uh, they'd gone extinct in that region. And, you know, the wolf pups died from malnutrition and the wolves believe this, believe it or not, could not be held to the boundaries of the park. So <laughs> I, they are wolves, uh, but yeah. people forget these things. And it's so difficult, you know, once, uh, not to be preachy, but once you, once an, a, a, a species goes extinct, it is it, next to impossible to be able to reintroduce them in a way uh, that makes sense and is good for nature. So, um, you know, I, I'm, as Bob Barker would say, uh, I would like to help control the human population, have your kids spayed or neutered. I don't know why. <laughs> um, uh, but but nonetheless, uh, whether you, you know, if you think that that should go on a shirt or you think I should be, you know, punished and canceled for that comment, let us know. Uh, we're on social media. Of course, you can find the show on Twitter at FGGBTPod, Facebook at FGGBT. But you can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you? Well, people can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Just flip my name. It's at Denon Michael. That also works on LinkedIn. But if you're going to Facebook, surprise, surprise, you have to stick in a prof, not a pipe, a prof. And it's at Prof Denon Michael. <laughs> well, you know, I always like to stick in a, a pipe. Oh, oh, I mean, I always like to stick in a pipe when I can, especially <laughs> when I'm asking Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? You spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at The Daniel J. Glenn, on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you want to get in touch with the show via email, we are at questions at FGGBT.com. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, please rate, review, and subscribe. And even if it's not your favorite platform, you should still do that. I agree. Even an extinct platform, Denon. Exactly. And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And leave a comment telling us what animal you want to see back in the world. And finally, we've given you lots of information that could be misused by those hell-bent on world domination, excessive financial gain, or even the destruction of nature as we know it. So it is your duty to take this information and do good with it. Remember, no matter the situation, no matter how lucrative the financial gains, you always want to become, be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. 
The fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.